One of the stranger aspects of shelter in place is how the days bleed together. A month ago, even, I knew the difference between Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday was a Cub Scout night, Thursday was a karate night. Thursday was NBA on TNT, while well, Wednesday was NBA on ESPN. Things are different, the days bleed together. We try to maintain a schedule for ourselves and our, our kids, but it is not the same rhythm of life. We all have different expectations of what a day will bring. Even if we, we never write them down or don't keep track of all the expectations, we expect th- certain things to happen. If you grew up in the church, you have certain expectations about what will happen on Palm Sunday. Maybe it has to do with palm branches or certain songs or certain scriptures. Maybe it has to do with making, making your plans for Easter dinner coming up next week. We all have a good deal of expectations about days like today. The disciples had a lot of expectations about what would happen after Jesus entered Jerusalem. They had been waiting for this moment for a while. Finally, here was the chance for Jesus to confront the Pharisees and high priests that had been hounding him all this time. Finally, this was the time to confront Rome and show them whose God was bigger. I bet some of them thought this was going to be Jesus's Elijah moment, like when Elijah challenged the priests of Baal to light the, their altars aflame. Who was going to do it? And they were like, ha ha, your God is puny. And all the, all the priests were together and Elijah was just by himself. And, and not, only, not only did the God light the fire, but Elijah poured water over it to make it more difficult to a challenge for that. And, and the priests of Baal, Baal was shown to be an empty God. And I bet some of the disciples hoped that the gods of Rome were going to be shown to be empty gods and Jesus was going to prove it and they were going to be right and all the other people were going to be wrong. The people in the crowd had a lot of expectations about what would happen after Jesus entered Jerusalem. They had heard rumors about this guy, the people he had healed and the things he had said. This Jesus had done amazing things up by Galilee. Maybe now he would do amazing things for them and beat back the Roman occupation. My friends, we are finishing our series on the lost art of finding our way of how to rediscover ways of journeying in our world. When I planned this series uh, five or six months ago, I could not have expected how difficult it is to find our way this day in April. Did not expect where we would be as a a world, um, as a city, as a church, where we're still trying to find our way in a new situation. Today we are looking at our expectations of where this journey is going to take us. But first I want to start with marketing. So the most sought after age demographic for marketing firms is usually around 18 to 34. And there are usually two reasons for this. One is a good reason and the other is not as good. The not as good reason first is the idea that this demographic has more disposable income that they can spend. Maybe 30 years ago, this was the case, but with, but with the exponential rise of, of student debt, the cost of college and other expenses, the rise of rent around the country, disposable income for young people seems a thing of the past. As well, a college degree is not a guarantee of income, of higher income as it used to be. But the good reason to seek after the 18 to 34 demographic, the good reasons are that these are people willing to change their mind. 
They are doing things and buying things for the first time. First car, first apartment, first decor home decorating, first shopping for themselves. Maybe first house, first lawnmower, or first decision to pay someone else to cut their lawn. First time meal planning, dealing with going out or staying in. People try things, try new things. They're open to new experiences. They go on different vacations, try different places, try different identities. We, young people try them on and experiment to see which one is going to be the one for them. And as we age, we get more set in our ways. We've already done things. We've done enough things. And so we know what we like and what we don't like. We have done enough things to know what we expect in this world. What do you expect today? What do you expect out of worship on a screen? We all have expectations. We cannot deny them, but we must try to understand them because our expectations can limit us in tremendous ways. What do we expect God to do in our lives? What will God do for me? This is the expectation the disciples had, as well as the crowds had on Palm Sunday. It wasn't a normal day for them. It was a special day of preparation. Passover was about to start. The Sabbath was the day before and everything was closed. And so now they were really ready to get their Passover preparations going, ready to go buy, find their lamb, get the, get the flour, ready to make their matzah. The people from around the world, the, the Jews around the world are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate together. People who live in Jerusalem are cleaning their house really well. They're doing some spring cleaning. They're, they're, they're wiping all the surfaces. They're getting all the soot out. They're making sure there's no um, hametz hidden places, which is leavened bread. They're going around making sure there's no hametz anywhere. They expected to gather as families this week to hear the story of the Exodus. What do we expect of God this day? Are we open to being changed? Are we ready to see God do a new thing? Are we, are we ready for God to break our expectations? Many times, we are not. I must confess this. I must confess this as a, as a church. I must confess this as a pastor. Many times, I just want my expectations met. I just want my needs met. I just want a few good sermon pastors from folks after, after the service and then be on my way and walk around in just my undershirt and, and pants all day and just do have a relaxing Sunday afternoon. I want my expectations met. The church has been tempted from the very beginning to be little more than a social club for holy folk, for people to gather and talk about how awesome they are and how rough it must be for everyone else who don't know. I think this is what a Palm Sunday church looks like. We can wave banners and find donkeys, but if we are really going to get back our life, get back to our life and not think about the Jesus we saw in this parade until maybe Friday, but probably really Sunday. We don't want to really think about it the rest of the week. We have other things to do. This Sunday is the day to think about the Jesus on the donkey and, and the pretty dresses and all the kinds of things, and then we'll go back to, to our normal routine. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he knew that the people cheering Hosanna to him this day, he knew what they would be saying on Friday. They're going to say, crucify him. 
When Jesus asked the disciples to find a donkey, Jesus knew what Peter was going to say on Friday. Peter will say, I do not know him three times. The church is not a social club for the righteous, but a field hospital of God's love for the broken and lonely and lost. Because the God who created everything was not satisfied with leaving this world broken. And yes, God could have snapped his fingers, his proverbial fingers, and taken away death and sickness and all the things, but that as well would have taken away our freedom and our lives and joys and loves. Instead, God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to be with us. Even more than that, God sent the Word who is in the beginning through whom all things came to be. God sent this Word to be an infant who could not use words. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, gave up on words for a few years in order to be with us. The Philippians passage that J.D. read, the Christ hymn illustrates this. Well, Jesus humbled himself to be with us, even to the point of death on a cross. Now there's a moment near the end of the super ultra pagan movie based on Norse mythology, Thor Ragnarok, which I would show you a clip of if there weren't copyright issues involved, so I will just have to act it out. And so, um, if you've seen the movie, or you've probably seen an image of Thor, you've heard of Thor, so just imagine, like me as, I'm Thor right now, this is me as Thor, the god of thunder, um, just lost my father, uh, my, my sister just broke my special hammer, um, took over Asgard, sent me into exile, and now I'm back, and I'm ready, I'm going to confront her, I'm going to get her, I'm, I'm excited, I'm ready, I've, I've overcome my obstacles, I'm ready for it. But, but she says... Oh, I'm disappointed in you. Then she really starts to do the fights and the beat-ups and all the, the walloping and that kind of stuff. And then, and then she says, valiant effort. But you never stood a chance. I'm not a queen or a monster. I am the goddess of death. What were you the god of again? And Thor is like, oh. And he has this vision. And he has this vision of his father, Odin. And he says to Odin, she's too strong. Without my hammer, I can't. And then Odin says, Are you Thor, the god of hammers? That hammer was to help you control your power, to focus it. It was never your source of strength. And scene. Okay, so I, the, you know, the movie can help illustrate the thing about what is our source of strength. What is your source of strength? Is it the things you've done? Is it the people you know? Is it your job? Is it your bank account? Is it your CV? What kind of person are you? Do you think you need these things to be who you are? Do you think you need a building, a restaurant, a status? Do you need to be right? Do you need to be righteous? Do you need to be seen as righteous? Seen like, oh, that is a righteous person. Is our source of strength the status quo? Are we comfortable with the way things are? And we just long to get back to that, longing to get back to a status quo where we felt secure in ourselves. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus changes things, things that need changing. This world needs changing. Ultimately, the crowds wanted Jesus to replace the rulers and to let them live however they wanted to anyway. Our expectations of God often work in that way. We want the world to change and our lives to stay the same. But that is not how God works. God's transformation starts here. It starts here. Let us not just wave our palms and go back to our lives, as an early church father wrote. Let us run to accompany Jesus as he hastens towards his passion 
and imitate those who met him then, not by covering his path with garments or olive branches or palms, but by doing all we can to prostrate ourselves before him by being humble. Then we shall be able to receive the word at his coming and God, whom no limits can contain, will be within us. You are loved. You are made to offer love in this world. As Charles Wesley wrote, Jesus emptied himself of all but love. This is the freedom God offers you this day. You know all those things in your life that are not love, all the things. You could probably list them right now. You don't need them. You can set them aside. Let us set them aside. May we use this time to set them aside. May we use God's grace to set them aside. May God transform our expectations of how to love in this world. May God transform our expectations of how we live. God offers us the freedom to not live for ourselves. But we have to take that step. God will be with us, but God will not force us. This Holy Week, take a step with Jesus. Read a scripture, say a new prayer, offer a new thanks. Write a new song in words or in deeds. Receive God's song of love in your heart. Let us spread before his feet, not garments or olive branches with, which delight the eye for a few hours and then wither, but let us spread ourselves, clothed in his grace, or rather clothed completely in him. May you be in Jesus, for he is here for you. May you offer Jesus, for he has offered himself to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.